0: Well, welcome officially to the season of Advent. Uh, Welcome to the four weeks that lead up to Christmas Day. Uh, These four weeks that historically the Christian church has set aside to prepare ourselves for the richness of celebrating the Christ child's birth. For many reasons, this time of year is challenging. I know it's challenging in part for me because it's getting dark. And like all the day you get up and go to work in the dark and you come home in the dark and then the rain comes and it's just a lot of darkness right now that's hard also it's a challenging time of year because it gets busy maybe it's still not pre-covid busy but our lives are getting filled up and things are happening and events are happening this is historically the time of year we have to bounce from christmas party to christmas party But I think another reason why this season is challenging is a reason that we don't often know or name. And it's the fact that right now, uh, American Christmas is getting turned up really loud in our ears. Now, you may all love Christmas, and I love Christmas too, but I I specifically want to point out and name what American Christmas is. Anyone in the past week heard a commercial? Right? Has anyone gone shopping? You know, maybe you avoided Black Friday, but Black Friday just happened. Anyone heard Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You? Anyone see lights up in homes and neighborhoods? So these things begin to form us and inform us, and some are really good and really beautiful and really amazing. Amazing. In other ways, though, there's this narrative that begins getting pumped into our ears right now that is really subtle if you don't stop and name it for what it is. So in case you don't know what I'm talking about, American Christmas forms us with songs and lights and smells and bells and pretty wrapping paper with bows and toys and the magical appeal of commercialism dipped in materialism with the side dose of individualism. And, and what's, what's challenging is, is there's this nostalgic charm it, It takes me back to my childhood, and I love just the wonder of Christmas. So it's not like it's all bad, but here's the message. The message of American Christmas is that true satisfaction awaits if you consume presents, food, drink, magical family time, and time off from work. It's this underlying message that all of your ills, all your problems will disappear if you get what you want under the Christmas tree. Anyone ever had post Christmas hangover? I remember that when I was a kid. I was like, Christmas is over. So, again, American Christmas gets played loud and clear in our ears. It's turned up right now and we may not even realize that it's happening, but it becomes the air that we breathe. That this next month is all about what you can buy, what you can give, how amazing and magical you can make the time with your family be. But right in the midst of that then is this season in the in the Christian church called Advent. And it's been a part of the Christian calendar for centuries. These 4 weeks that lead up to Christmas Day are an opportunity for preparation, an opportunity for worship, an opportunity for us to have some deeper reflection on what God is up to in the world. We get to think about the first coming of Jesus as a baby. But we also, as a church right now, we are situated between the comings, and just as Israel awaited for the first coming of Messiah in the baby Jesus. We as the church now await the second coming of Jesus. And I think the older I get, the deeper my longing and ache is to say, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we need help. So there's this season for us, and and maybe this is new to you. That's fine. We would love and hope that you begin to kind of dip your toe in the water and experience Advent as a community, whether it's getting an Advent guide and reading it through together or coming every Sunday, and we're going to light these candles each week and talk about the themes. We're going to be singing the songs. We're going to be talking through the, the stories that prepare us to really center our minds and hearts and souls on what matters on the truth that God himself took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Advent is subversive. It actually will call out our idols. It will undercut some of the messaging that you hear. But I'm a, I don't have any illusions to know that an hour and a half a week is not going to compete with the constant noise that we will hear all the time. But my hope and prayer is that the Spirit of God would reorient our hearts and minds collectively toward what is true, who is true, what God's doing among us. Now, I I have to give this disclaimer every year. Celebrating Advent does not mean that you have to smash your Christmas lights or dump your peppermint mocha or cancel your parties or take down your Christmas tree. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm hoping that as you do those things, that we do this time of year, that maybe we do them differently, with a different intentionality, with a different focus, with our hearts and minds open to what God may be saying to us. I pray that the ancient story, the ancient Advent story, would refocus us on the Christ child, and that he would be loud and clear in our ears, and form us in a beautiful way. So here's what we're gonna do in this setting, on Sundays for the next month, uh, to accomplish Advent this year together, Um, I'm actually going to veer us away from the traditional Christmas account. So oftentimes this time of year we read Luke 2, which is the Charlie Brown famous Christmas um, passage, Um, Or we sometimes read Matthew 1 and talk about the story from Matthew's perspective. Uh, We often spend time this time of year with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi and King Herod and the grumpy innkeeper and um, all those beautiful, familiar Christmas characters. Um, Nothing against them at all. Uh, But this year, this is where I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading us to spend some time this month. We're going to camp out in John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open to John chapter 1. John tells the Christmas story differently. And so hopefully, um, hopefully uh, you've heard some aspect of the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph, baby in the manger, Bethlehem, wise men, shepherds, and angels, and all of that. Uh, and then I'd love for us to overlay on top of that then John 1. Because John, again, he doesn't give a, a, a contradictory account. He just goes in his own way, because he's got a different purpose in mind, a different story in mind, a different way of highlighting who Jesus is in mind. He's a different goal. So this Advent season, we will be exploring the main character of main characters. Our series title is Jesus, One and Only. As much as I want you to learn from Mary, the shepherds, the wise men have wonder and awe about the star, Bethlehem, the obedience of Joseph. I hope and pray that our hearts are stirred to know, experience, and worship Jesus for the distinctive features of who he is. That he's the one and only Word, that He's the one and only light and life, that He's the one and only Son, He's the one and only tabernacle. And he's the one and only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's going to be kind of where we go over the next month. So, here's John chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Today we're just going to spend our time in the first three verses. Jesus, one and only. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John, as he gets started here, introduces us to the one and only word. Now you realize as John, who is one of Jesus' disciples, and apostle, as he sits down to write, he writes this story. And as he sits down, he didn't have to start the story this way. He could have chosen a million different ways to start the story. And out of all of his millions of options, here's how he starts. In the beginning, which I I would say, my friends, is a very intentional and a very bold way to start a book. If I were to begin my sermon tonight with, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Some of you would know that I'm riffing on Tale of Two Cities. Or if I started my sermon four score and seven years ago, Gettysburg Address. Or if I started out, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, Declaration of Independence. I'll help you out. So we, we have some of these lines and these stories and these phrases that, that we have in our collective memories that if I begin that way, you know that I'm, I'm trying to do something there. I'm grabbing from something. And when John starts his gospel account to try and introduce you to someone named Jesus, here's how he starts. And he starts with this phrase, in the beginning, which is a reference to what? Yeah. Yeah. John references Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. He intentionally takes the opening words of the Bible and he makes them the opening lines of his story. And in doing so, I don't think it's random. It's very intentional. And he's framing something that he wants you to know and understand about Jesus. In fact, John, at the end of his gospel, he tells you that he has put together these stories so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. John has an agenda, just so you know. And he starts it like this. Now, you can stay there. I'm just, just going to keep pointing to John 1 here. John starts here on purpose. This is a unique Christmas story. This is not like Luke 2. This is not like Matthew 1. He starts with an allusion to Genesis 1 because he wants us to know that as he tells us the story about the Word, he's not just talking about a Bethlehem manger, He's not even just focusing in on the first century. He's like, for you to actually grasp what's happening at Christmas, for you to actually grasp what's happening in this Jesus story, you don't have to go back to a manger. You don't have to go back to Bethlehem. You have to go back a lot further than that. John says, in the beginning. So, go ahead now to the next slide. Genesis 1, for those that maybe don't have the familiarity of the Bible, this is how the Bible begins. The very first page, the opening lines of the Scripture. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis 1-1, who's the first person that you meet in the story? God. And Genesis 1-1 is talking about what event? Yeah, the creation of the heavens and the earth. This is the creation story. So John says, okay, I'm telling you my story about this person. I want you to know, believe, and follow. And here's how the story begins. It begins in the beginning. And in his story, the first person that you meet is the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and this Word that I want you to know and believe and follow, he was with God. So again, he, at this point, he's still unnamed. He's, he's distinct from God, and yet he is God. You're like, talk about Jumping into the deep end here, the Word was with God. The Word was God. Right from the get-go, John in his story is trying to reframe your understanding of God. That there's this Word who is with God, distinct from God, but who is God in the category of being. And then in case you haven't read the story before, we get down to verse 14 and find out who this Word is. This word who was with God, this word who was God, he is the one who took on flesh. This is Jesus. Now, we could spend some time trying to wrap our brains around this idea of one God in three persons. The historical term for that is Trinity. I'm not here to necessarily talk through the Trinity tonight, though I do think John's gospel stretches our understanding of God. But the reason why I spend time here in pointing out the connection back to Genesis 1, and I think the reason why John begins his Jesus story this way, is because there's something critical that he wants you to understand and see. You see, John wants you to know that Jesus is the creator God. And John wants you to know that Christmas is a new creation story. That's what he's doing, why, that's why he starts it out in the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now John 1.1, 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made through the Word. He's intentionally bringing our attention to this idea that what we're doing right now, heading into Advent, that what we will be doing over the next month celebrating Christmas is not just talking about an ordinary baby who happened to be born in a random place in the Middle East in a manger. His origin is not Bethlehem. The manger is not the beginning of the storyline. This is actually what's happening here, is the eternal word from the Genesis story. This eternal word is creator God. In Greek, the word is logos, the word. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, It's interesting, as you read the creation story, God creates, how? How does God create over and over again in Genesis 1? He speaks. Ten times in Genesis 1, it says, God said, and God said, let there be light. God said, and God said, and it happened. And God said, and it happened. Ten times that God creates through his word, which is in line with the Psalms, Next slide, Psalm 33, 6 says that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath, or the ruach, or the spirit, the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. And so even in the Old Testament, the understanding was that as God creates the, heaven and, the heavens and the earth, that the wor- world was made through the spirit and the word. So all of this could be meaningless Bible trivia. For some, going back to Genesis 1 is fuel for a creation-evolution debate. I'm not here to give you meaningless Bible trivia or to talk about origin stories. The reason why we're talking about this at Advent is because John wants you to know that Jesus is the creator God and that Christmas is the beginning of a new creation story. And that in the same way that the word was there in the beginning as the creative agency of God, John 1.3, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. You and I need to know that in the Advent story, the Creator God is up to new things. Christmas signals the beginning of new creation. And I get that some of you are like, I don't care. (laughs) Why does this matter? I'm trying to make it through my week. I've had a rough go this month. My family and household struggled through Thanksgiving, and now we're going to do a hard time through Christmas. I know I've been throwing some verses and a little theology at you for the last 10 minutes. I don't want to give you pious platitudes, but here's why this matters. Here's why John says, I'm going to tell you this story about the one and only word, and it doesn't begin at Bethlehem. It goes back to the beginning of the creation story. Here's why this matters. First of all, creation and new creation speak to the commonality of chaos, It acknowledges and addresses the fact that there is chaos. If you look at Genesis 1, the creation story, creation happens amidst chaos. John 1, the new creation story, happens amidst chaos chaos right now in the room in our world there is chaos and the, cre- the new creation christmas story acknowledges your chaos and my chaos and the world's chaos and we need to be able to acknowledge that and name that and not just hang pretty lights over it or wrap it in wrapping paper or think that if you buy your spouse a new lexus and put a bow on it that it'll all be okay Who does that? But the fact that John goes back to creation, if you read the creation story, creation happens by the word of God amidst a world that was formless and void. And God brings order to the chaos. And in the world that Jesus showed up in, there was chaos, where shalom is out of place and shattered. Things aren't as they ought to be. And I just want to name tonight for some of you, you're feeling the chaos. And especially at Christmas time, we all feel like we have to be happy. We got to name the chaos first. Creation stories begin with chaos. And I know there's some chaos tonight. There's chaos within and there's chaos without. And the chaos within us is really close. And we feel the chaos even in our bodies, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Some of us in the room tonight know what it's like to have the diagnosis. Some of us in the room tonight struggle with mental illness. Some of us in the room tonight struggle with chronic pain. Pain, panic attacks, addictive patterns that torment us, a dominating inner critic of guilt and shame, scars from the past, broken relationships, families that aren't the way we want them to be, deceit, lies, comparison, there's chaos. There's chaos within, and that's not to mention the chaos without. Sometimes at Christmas time, we ignore these things, but they don't go away. Tragedies, atrocities, systemic patterns of sin that show up in our world, the open neglect for other human beings. The poor are forgotten, orphans neglected, justice perverted, sex trafficking that we've talked about here in the last few weeks in our church, homelessness doesn't go away at Christmas, polarization, the tearing apart of families and churches. There's chaos. It's part of the reason why John begins his Christmas story this way, This is why. It's because John's eager to introduce you to the Word. He's eager to introduce you to the Creator God, to the creation, new creation story, because every creation story begins in chaos. You name the chaos, but your chaos needs a Creator because He is the only one who can handle it. One Old Testament commentator, he says, this is how God works. This is Yahweh's modus operandi. When his people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then he loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. Once we see where God often begins, we will understand how we may be encouraged. If you feel like you're without strength and without resources and without hope, and you've come to the end of your human gimmicks, That's when God loves to work. God specializes in handling chaos. Thank God that he specializes in handling chaos. And we live in a world that tries to sell us on how to manage our chaos, but we have this innate sense that it doesn't work if we just swap out identities, we wonder if anyone will love us, we work ourselves and we tire ourselves to the bone, we numb ourselves, we entertain ourselves, we mask ourselves, we hop onto a new political hero, we find a new campaign that will hopefully address the chaos we care about. But for thousands of years... Ever since Adam and Eve in the garden introduced the chaos of sin into the world, humanity has waited and suffered and cried out for help, cried out for hope, hoping for whispers of a promise. And there were prophecies that the chaos killer would come, the one who would reorder and put the world to rights. The one who would bring healing and it didn't happen in Adam and it didn't happen with the patriarchs and it didn't happen with the judges and it didn't happen with the kings and it didn't happen with the prophets. Until finally, finally after centuries of waiting, enter the word. In the beginning was the word. The same word from the beginning now steps into humanity now steps into the world enter jesus this is what john is dying for you to know jesus is the one and only word the one who made all things the one who upholds all things by the word of his power he is the one the creator god who overcomes our chaos There's someone who can handle the chaos of the world. He did it in the beginning, in the first act of creation. And He's doing it again. There's someone who can turn water into wine. Just ask the guest at the wedding feast. He's the Word. There's someone who can calm storms with a Word. Whose voice the wind and the waves obey. He is the Word. There is someone who can make leprous skin whole. He is the Word. There is someone who puts evil spirits to flight. He is the Word. There is someone who puts an ear back on after a knife fight. He is the Word. There is someone who speaks resurrection life back to the dead. He is the Word. There is someone who speaks peace be still and nature listens. He is the Word. It is the one and only Word of God. It is Jesus. All things made by Him, made through Him. All things hold together by His Word. But this is not just ancient history. This is not just John saying, well, go back to Genesis. Genesis. Because the Word, the Creator God, is at it still. And listen to this. Listen to the end of the story. Revelation 21, verse 5. At the end of the story, this same Word says these words. He says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Just as He made all things in the first place, this Jesus comes into human history and through his life, death, and resurrection has accomplished all that is necessary to now make all things new. Just as the creator God stood over the chaos in the beginning, he'll do it again. He will do it again. And this is what he says, I am making all things new. It's funny, in the Greek language. There's two words that both mean new. I'm going to put this up on the screen. So there's one word that means new. It's the word neos. It's new in respect to time. It's of the same kind and quality as the original, but it's something that approximates to what we originally had. So uh, for example, I love, I love sweatshirts. My family makes fun of how often I wear sweatshirts. I love my hoodies. Um, But the time came this past month where my wife started saying, uh, those hoodies have to go. Too long. You've been wearing those for too long. All of your pictures, you're wearing the same hoodie. And now there's been a decade in between your hoodies. That hoodie has to go and that hoodie has to go. Now, I'm cheap and I don't like spending money on myself, uh, so it took me up a little bit to muster up the gusto, but a few weeks ago I made the trek in my Jetta all the way to the store by myself and I picked out a few new hoodies. (laughs) You'll see me wearing them soon if you haven't already. I got some Naos new hoodies. They're, They're nice, they're new, but they're a lot like my old ones just in an updated manner, right? I got me some new hoodies. That's one word for the word new in the New Testament. There's also this other word. It's the word "kainos," And that new is new as to form or quality. It's a different nature from what is contrasted as old. It's superior to the previous product. It's different and even of a better quality. And when Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new, he says, I'm making all things kainos." Another verse in the New Testament that says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have been made. Kainos. If anyone is in Christ, you're a kainos creation. There's this new work that the Creator is doing, and chaos will not reign forever. He entered into human history to defeat sin and death and the evil one, to rule and reign with a new heavens and a new earth, making all things new. He's making new creations. Your chaos will not last forever. But there is only one who has the authority and the power to speak new things to your old. There's only one who has the ability and the track record and the character to handle the chaos of this world. His name is Jesus. He's the one and only word. He is the creator God. And that's the celebration of the Christmas story. Fleming Rutledge, an author, says that Advent begins in the dark. Advent also begins in the chaos. And some of you are aching, longing, and that's part of the tension of this season is that we have hope and expectation and yet we still feel we're in the middle of this story. Yes, He came the first time. He has not yet come again. And we wait for the day when all will be made right, all will be made new, when healing comes and He wipes away every tear from our eye and death is defeated and we see God face to face. But the Word is the one who is making all things new is promised to you in your waiting he will come again the creator god has not abandoned his world the creator god has not abandoned your story the creator god has not thrown his hands up in defeat and despair he is working out his plan he is jesus the one and only word Pastor Charlie Dates says that in the creation story, we witness the unparalleled, unprecedented, and undisputed power of God to accomplish the unknowable and the unfathomable. That God is the sole creator and superintendent of all of creation. He is the single most powerful being that is, was, or ever will be. And when we encounter the creator God, we discover a God of possibilities. A God who literally can do anything, including speaking all things into existence. That's the God who took on flesh. He's the one who is in charge of your story. He's the one who is still over his church. He is the one who will come again one day. Maybe a couple of questions for us to consider as we end. What? What chaos do you need the Word to speak to today? Maybe that's a good question for you to consider this week. What chaos do you need the Word to speak to today? Where do you need His creative power to show up? In this noisy world, we hear so many words. And as Advent begins, John calls us to the powerful, chaos crushing Creator God who joins us, comes to us as a baby. Lord, we do have, uh, loud and clear, lots of noise around us. And the, the soundtrack of Christmas, of American Christmas, is loud in our ears. And there are presents to buy and houses to decorate and lights to put up and parties to attend. And, and yet, Lord, we know that ultimately our Problems won't disappear based upon what we get under the tree this year. And no matter how we try to have the perfect Christmas with family time, time off work, gifts, celebration, the perfect meal, food and drink, Lord, it leaves us longing. It leaves us aching. It leaves us looking for some other source of help to deal with the chaos in here and out there. So we ask, Lord, in this month of preparation, Jesus, the Word, may you speak. May may all the, the, the treasures of the riches of Scripture come to life to us. And may you speak a fresh word to us greater God. Nothing is impossible for you. And yet in our world, it's easy for us to grow cynical and weary. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. I pray this in your name, Jesus. The one and only word. Amen.